church <laughs> yeah all right hey uh, it's good to be here amen good to have everybody here uh, good to be in the house of the Lord uh, how many of you guys have been encouraged this week yeah good if not it's okay there's not many hands going raised <laughs> very discouraging week is it, the, is it like the fact that it's dark out or something that, I don't know, I feel like my feet drag in the morning these days. But it's good to be here because this is the place where we get encouraged, isn't it? Uh, and the only answer to really all of our problems, the only answer to our life is Jesus. And it sounds very simple and it sounds very naive, but this is what has been proven to be true for thousands of years. And we stand here because 
somebody else told us the good news of Christ. And they, they stood there because somebody told them, and they stood there because somebody told them. And on and on it goes. And we have the good news today. We have hope in our life because of Jesus. Yeah. So everybody turn around, look at the back wall over there. See that little thing? That's the what did Pastor Gary, did you do that? Okay, I was gonna say it looks too good. <laughs> yeah, Lisette and Pastor Gary made the little table back there. And um, if you look at it closely, you're gonna see a couple things. You're gonna see some of our missionaries. Uh, a guy named Ben School, he actually did the very first church service with us. Great Finnish guy, he's in Finland with his wife. Um, the Plunkets are on there. So those of you that know, Nick who's usually behind the computer, he's not here today. Uh, but his parents live in Singapore, um, and we support them as a church. But there's also Bible school up there. There's little pamphlets. So it's just to get your mind thinking about missions, and you get your mind thinking about Bible college. So I, I think the idea is that we start some classes in January. But if any of you are real serious, we'll just uh, ship you to Baltimore to our Bible school. So. <laughs> Uh, hey, let's uh, open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and uh, I, I, we're going to try something new. We're going to, you know, from here, you know, loosely, you know, we're going to just try to tackle the book of Colossians uh, for a little while, and uh, it's my favorite book. That's why I chose it. You know, I'm selfish. I had the microphone, so I got to choose. So, uh, but it really, it edifies us because it has a lot of theology in it, right? but also has a lot of practicality in it. And we're just going to, you know, kind of work our way through it. So let's turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, and that's where we'll be today. Let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for our worship time. And we just ask that this same thread of the presence of God will continue. That the words that are spoken, that they'll be from you. That they'll encourage, they'll sharpen us that we will leave this place a little bit closer to you. Pray for those that are sick today. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, this is an interesting passage because we often read it very quickly and we get on with the book and we look for something else that seemingly has more content. But as you read the Bible and as you grow in your Bible reading, Actually, this is something that Eugene Peterson said. He said that the Bible was written spiritually, right? The Holy Spirit spoke through men, and the Bible was written. Therefore, it has to be read spiritually. So when we're reading the Bible, we have to read it with spiritual ears, you know? How many of you guys read the Bible with spiritual ears? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I'm just... How many of you actually read the Bible? No. <laughs> You know, it's, it's kind of funny because we, we read the Bible, sometimes we feel like it's forced and we don't feel very spiritual. But it's an interesting idea. But when we turn on our spirits, the Spirit of God, and He's active in our life, and we begin to read the Bible and we slow down. That's the amazing thing, we slow down. We begin to see the treasure that is in the Bible. And I was just reading this and I'm like, you know, Honestly, in these two simple verses, there's uh, one, two, three, four, five. I see at least six or seven 
different messages that could be preached from these three, these two simple verses. You know, we could talk about the will of God. How many of you guys would like to know what the will of God is? Well, here Paul says that he's an apostle by God's will. It wasn't his own. Interesting, isn't it? How many of you guys would like to know, and girls, you know, would like to know what it means to be like, you know, Timothy's a brother. What does it mean to have family in God? Right? I mean, there's another topic we could talk about. How about uh, Paul calling them saints? That's a good topic. How about Paul calling them faithful? How about that simple phrase, in Christ? That is, I mean, if you study the book of Ephesians, that is everywhere in the book of Ephesians. In Christ, amazing. Grace to you, peace to you, God our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, there is so many messages here in this verse. So we're going to try to work through the book of Colossians. <laughs> and by God's grace. And you know what? Um, we learned this at the pastor's retreat. Like, we don't go down every little rabbit trail. Uh, we're looking for what God has for us today. There are seven messages here, but, you know, by God's grace, we have one for us today. And that hopefully it is what we need to grow in our walk, to give us capacity to get up in the morning and go to work tomorrow, to love our neighbor, to love our wives, you know? So, Colossians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from our God, our, uh, from God our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the reason why this passage is so easy to just kind of blow through because it's very simple. It's a greeting, but greetings mean a lot of things, and I want us to really slow down and begin to look at what this greeting is saying because this greeting is actually setting the tone for the entire book of Colossians. Meaning, uh, if Paul would have opened the greeting in a different way, it would have set a different tone. And you can look at other of Paul's epistles, right? You can look at Peter's epistles, you can look at James, you can look at the Gospels. And what you see is in each one of them, there is a different greeting, and that greeting is setting the tone. And here's the interesting thing about greetings, right? Because greetings suggest the type of relationship or social status that exists between the two people. So here's Paul. He's writing a book to a city in, called Colossae. You know, and he's writing a letter to them to encourage them, to help them to grow in their faith, to deal with some church issues, to deal with some life issues, to deal with some theological issues. He is, he is writing this letter to help them in their walk with God. And in, that, in this greeting, he is establishing the relationship that he has with this church. And every single book of the Bible has a different greeting, and that greeting is establishing the relationship that the writer has with the audience. And we're also going to see that there's also a status, a social status that is there. And this is important for us to understand. We're going to see this here in a minute. Because is Paul being formal? Is he being informal? Is he being aggressive? Is he passive? Is he warming? You know, uh, what, what is he communicating here in this opening? 
And there are two things that I see how Paul is opening in this verse. Is number one is that he is relate. Uh, how does he relate to church? Okay, number he's re, he's looking at he's, he opens this way. He says, "Paul, an apostle." The first thing that Paul does is he doesn't reveal himself necessarily as being a friend, but he reveals himself as having authority. Which tells me that when Paul is going to speak about something in the rest of this book, the things that he is going to speak, the theology, the identity of who Christ is, because you know, we're going to get into it later in the book, but there were a bunch of people that would follow Paul around and preach another gospel. They would say another version of who Christ is or who Christ isn't. It would, they would pervert the gospel. So here, Paul, Paul is dealing with this, and how does he deal with this? But he has to establish the fact that he has the authority, he has the right to say what he is going to say. It is so amazing. But then he continues by saying, but there's also Timothy. This is, this, is, this is cool. Because Paul isn't this guy who's just like, I'm in charge, shut up and listen to me. This is the way, or, you know, or leave. He's not that kind of a guy. But he's this kind of guy who has labored. He has cared for these people. He has shared the gospel with them. He, he has counseled them. I mean, he has gone through life with these people, and he cares deeply for them. So he mentions Timothy, our brother. <laughs> I really like that word, brother. Because that is showing a different type of relationship, right? that these people uh, that are in charge of the church, the ones that have invested in their life, how these people are relating to the church. And he uses this brother, this word brother. This word brother is used often by Paul and is used really to, to show the fact that he shares in the new nature and the heritage with Christ that they are sharing with. That's what that word brother means. It means that they, um, that they are sharing something, that there's, there's, there, they have the same nature, right? Uh, so when I say, you know, hey, this is my brother or this is my sister, it means we have the same blood. We have the same life. And if you look at us, you're going to see the similarities. And then if you begin to follow us a little bit, you're going to see that there are certain types of characteristics that we both, you know, got from our parents. You know, so there is, there is this nature that is there. So when Paul is using this word, brother, speaking of Timothy, he's using it to show that there is the same kind of nature. Like, yes, there is this authority here. Yes, I am, you know, one way I have the right to say what I'm going to say in the following chapters. But also, I am the same as you. Timothy is the same as you. We are sharing the same nature. Meaning the way that you received Christ is the same way that I received Christ. By faith. The same way that you partake in the nature of God is the same exact way that I partake in the nature of God. Isn't that amazing? So this is showing us two important things. One is that you know, Paul has authority, but also the second thing is that through Timothy being brother, he's revealing that he's giving the church in Colossae a capacity 
to hear what he's going to hear, what he's going to say. Anybody at work have a boss who is the boss and you know he's the boss and he makes sure you know he's the boss? <laughs> yeah, actually I don't. My boss is very passive. I hope he's not, he doesn't listen to this, so it's okay. You know, but he's very passive and like, whatever, Dennis, whatever you want to do, you know, sounds good. You know, but we can have these bosses that can be very aggressive. They are, they are in charge. And actually we can have people that are under us who are threatened by our position and they begin to exercise authority that has never been given to them. It's funny to watch that happen too, isn't it, in the workplace? And here is Paul. He's like, he's saying, well, I, I'm in charge. Like, I, I have the right to say this. But if somebody says that, do you want to listen to him? No, you don't. Because there's something that is never revealed. His authority, his social status is revealed. But there's something that is never revealed, and that is his love and his care and his compassion that he has. And Paul understood that. He said, if I just show my authority and I reveal to the church that I have the right, and you better listen, you better correct your theology, you better correct your marriage, you better correct your children, you better do this, and I'm in charge, so do what I say to do. Paul knew immediately that nobody would ever have the capacity. That's also not Paul's heart. So he introduces Timothy, a brother, that is so important because what it does is it reveals a capacity that the people will have to hear him. Oh, he's like us. Oh, he's been through the same things that we have been through. He is like us. Meaning he understands there is nothing different between him and I except for God's will in his life. Now we have a capacity. And I was thinking about this, you know, these two things, authority and capacity. We need both of them in our life. We need both of them. And what are things that can ruin relationships? What are some things that can ruin the authority, more specifically, that God has in our life? I want you to think about that for a minute. What are some things that can ruin the authority God has in your life? What are some things that can ruin your capacity to hear from God in your life? These are two important questions. And you know what? I don't know. Maybe you could answer them. Maybe it's an easy answer. Yeah, Michael. Sin. Yeah, sin. Absolutely sin in our life. Yeah. Anybody else have a have a thought? Yeah. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he's finding it. I mean, you guys can think about it in your own life. What are things that ruin 
the authority God has in your life? What are the things that ruin your capacity for God? Go ahead. Blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it is. Grace, did you raise your hand? Rebellion? Yeah. I mean, I think we could talk a lot about just answering those questions. It could be very simple things like we don't know who God is. It could be uh, on the streets, we're talking to people about Jesus. They often have a problem with the church and how the church hurt them. So now they have no capacity to listen to God. I'm not saying your reasons are rights. Your reasons that you're given are the right reasons. But there are a lot of people that are believers, and may, or maybe they're unbelievers, and they have wrong reasons, but those wrong reasons have still ruined, they have wrecked their, their walk with God. It, it, it is amazing. I mean, and let me just say this real quick. It is Satan's design to do that. It, I mean, it is designed by Satan. And Satan can use the most silly thing in the world to ruin your walk with God. It can be the silliest thing. I mean, I've heard some silly things before. You know, things like, you know, colors, color of the curtains. You know, color of the walls, you know. The coffee's not good enough. Picking on Ryan back there, you can't see. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of, of different reasons, right? But most of them are not good reasons, and I think we can say it very simply, it comes down to one simple thing, sin. But the reason why we mention this is because I feel that Paul kind of understands this. He understands their capacity uh, can be ruined to hear from God. He understands, and he's talking to a church who might be receiving wrong theology, wrong doctrine, and it is ruining their you know, capacity to hear who God is. It could be ruining the capacity that, that they have for God's authority in their life. And Paul understands that, and that is why I believe that he wrote verse 2. Let's go back there. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 2. We're going to turn to some other verses a little later. And it says, To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. <laughs> you know what really helps our capacity? You know what really helps us to realize the authority that God has in our life? It's that one word in there that's buried in that verse 2. Paul calls them saints. Does anybody find that odd? I, f I find it odd. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about the Catholic Church and uh, before, before they canonize somebody, right? Uh, I mean, uh, Michael, you can maybe help me a little bit. Don't they have to do two miracles before they're canonized? Is that true? Three. Three miracles have to happen in their life, you know, and then they and then they become canonized. And then, what does that mean? It means they become a saint. Maybe two. Maybe two. Okay. Yeah, it, it, that's why you read about Saint So and So, Saint So and So, is because there was two miracles that were documented after you know, and there's there's priests that have to go out and 
and research and investigate and document these miracles, and then they can be considered saints. Here's a quick test for you guys. Does anybody know where the first saint was ever canonized in the United States? Huh? In the United States. The first saints in the United States. Not the name, maybe the location. What's the location? Merrill. Huh? It, it, so it was, it was right here in Frederick, Maryland. Yep. Yeah, Mount St. Mary's exists because of the first saint that was ever canonized in the United States. That's all I know. I don't know the whole story. But I was, yeah, very interesting to me. But what the three miracles, two miracles, give or take, would happen. I mean, if one happened in my life, man, I'd be jumping up and down. You know? Three miracles have to happen, and then they're, then they're called saints. I mean, isn't, that is amazing. They are called a saint. I haven't performed one miracle now, not that I know of. I haven't performed one miracle like these guys have, uh, and girls. That hasn't happened to me once in my life. I haven't healed anybody like that. I haven't cast out a demon like that. I haven't done, you know, some of these miracles they've done. So I can't be called a saint, right? This is what is so interesting about the Pauline epistles is that he is so bold that he is saying, and he puts a blanket cover and he looks at the entire church and he says, you are all saints. You are all saints. How could that be done? How could that be said? I want to look in this verse. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The word saints in the Greek, it means sacred, pure, and holy. And there's very few of us that would ever raise our hands and shout and say, yep, that's me, I'm a saint. That's me. I'm pure. I'm holy. I'm sacred. I'm set apart. That is me. I, I, I am that guy. So we're all raising our hands saying, right, we're so holy. We've done miracles. We're saints. Rich, put your hand down. <laughs> Yet this is one of Paul's most favorite nouns that he uses to describe the people of God. He uses this word over and over and over again to describe the people of God. So I'm just going to read this. This is from a study tool that I have. It says, Paul is designating the believer's position in Christ as holy or set apart from that which is secular, profane, evil, and dedicated unto God, his worship and his service. That's what, that's what it means to be a saint. I'll read it again. This is the, the believer's position in Christ as holy, set apart from that which is secular, profane, and evil, dedicated to God. Wow, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? Paul is using this noun, and that's how, what he's calling you. He's calling that to you. Uh, I'm going to continue another quote from the same, same study tool. It says, contrary to some religious teachings, the Bible itself never uses this word, saints, to refer to a special class of believers 
who are a notch above the rest. Rather, this word saint is used by Paul to say that we are all equal at the cross. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. There are many, 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 many verses we could talk to, talk through, talk about. Uh, we're not here to give a complete discourse on sainthood. But I am here to really describe to you that relationship that God has with you and the capacity that you have with God. And how does sainthood deal with that? Now Paul says, verse 5, says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of, anything, uh, think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Who also, he continues, he also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not the letter, but of the spirits. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. I mean, that word doesn't need any describing, does it? It's very simple. And I thought about, you know, changing the word sufficiency to enoughness. You know, we don't use the word, oh, I'm not sufficient enough to score three goals this game. <laughs> you know, I'm not, you know, what we kind of think when we have this in our mind, we think, I am not enough. So, change the word sufficiency and change it to enoughness. Our enoughness, it's not a real word. Actually, Google did not correct me when I typed it in my, you know, my notes. But not that we are enoughness of ourselves, but our enoughness comes from God. Isn't that good? You are not enough. That sets us completely free because if you are enough by your own good works to do what God is asking you to do, that put the rest of us at a disadvantage because you are gifted and I am not. Right? That would mean you are without excuse, therefore you should be performing because you are gifted, and I have an excuse because I don't have the gifts, therefore I shouldn't even be doing this. That's what could be said. But really what is happening here is, Christ, you know, Paul is saying our, our enoughness comes from God. Our sainthood, where does it come from? It is a word that Paul is using to describe the position that all people in the church have in Christ. Meaning, you can be called a saint because the very fact that Christ is enough. That's it. That's it. You might never experience your sainthood because you never live in Christ's enoughness. And that's why Paul continues in, uh, in verse 6, saying, Who also made us enough as ministers. It's a good verse for me. <laughs> it's a good verse for you, because some of you might be thinking, like, you could be a minister, but I, you're not enough. I, I, you know, I'm not standing here because I'm enough. I stand here because Christ is enough inside of me. You don't sit there in that seat because you're enough. You're not sitting here today because you have done enough good things. You've straightened out your life. You are worthy. You know, you don't sit there because of that. You sit here today because Christ died on a cross. He was buried and he was rose again. 
because of your sins. You sit here today because Christ was enough. That is the reason why we sit here. So for a minute, think with me. How does this message affect the first part of the message? How does it change Christ's authority in my life? And how does it change my capacity for God in my life? And, you know, it's funny. Sometimes when you're studying the Bible, there's ways to preach. Those of you who don't want to be preachers or those of you that want to study the Bible, you can come to the Bible with your idea and you use Bible verses to prove your idea. That's wrong. <laughs> don't do that. Okay? We're not here to prove the way I think with the Bible. I am here... You are here to learn how God thinks. You know, so when we're studying the Bible, we're letting the Bible reveal itself. We're letting the Holy Spirit reveal the Bible to us. And, and, and when, when, when I was studying and God did this, I was like, man, this is amazing. Who has the authority to call us saints? God. God. God has the authority to call us saints. Why? Because of the cross. Very simply, we could never be called a saint. Like, I don't have the authority to call you a saint. I, don't have, I have the authority to call you a saint as much as I have the authority to bring you over to McDonald's and give you a raise. You don't work at McDonald's. I don't work at McDonald's. Therefore, I have no authority. Right? It is the same exact thing. Nobody has the authority to call anybody a saint because they don't, they don't have the authority. God is the one who call, has the authority. Christ is the one who earned that authority. So what could ruin God's authority in my life is a lie that says I'm something that I'm not. Now you might find that funny because you're sitting there saying I'm not a saint and you're calling me a saint. But what I am saying is the Bible says that you are a saint. And we could turn to many, many verses and I think Colossians was a very good verse that is pointing to the fact that God makes us enough. God makes us enough. Not only does he give us forgiveness to the cross, but he gives us the gifts of God. I mean, I've heard singers that were enough, but there was no anointing, there was no presence of God in their life. Then I hear somebody who doesn't sing as well, and, but they sing with the presence of God. That's enoughness. That's what it means to have God. He comes into your life and he, and he changes you completely. So in closing today, I want us to think about the authority and capacity as the basis of how we relate to God. A lot of us, we don't really have a problem with the authority of God. I think most of us understand that God is in charge. 
<laughs> some, of, yeah, some of you know it better than others, maybe. We know God is in charge. We have no problem with his authority. But where we struggle is with our capacity. And we are all at different places with our capacity for God. Some people here, maybe they could sit here and listen to a message for an hour and a half and feel like it's 10 minutes. Maybe some of you are already falling asleep on me. You have different capacities. It's not right or wrong, it's a different capacity. But where does your capacity change? It changes when you begin to relate to God the right way. And I want to like put forward in your lap and say this, that maybe you're having a problem with your capacity because you don't know his heart, but you know his authority. Maybe you don't know his heart, but you know his authority. And just as Paul opening this, this letter to Colossians, to the Colossian people, and he is saying, there's authority and there is also brotherhood, there is capacity. It is the same way that we need to relate to God. We need to relate to him as the king, but he's also our father. And he, it says of Moses that he spoke to God as a friend speaks to a friend. Moses had not only the courage, but he had the audacity to challenge God. He did. He did. Up there on the mountain, God says, we'll just destroy Israel and I'll make you a great nation, Moses. And God says, no, don't do it. Moses said, don't do it. Don't do it, God. He challenged God. How could he do that? Because he understood this principle. And we as believers, we need to begin to understand this principle. And our capacity, like, we want your capacity in this church to grow. We want, you know, we're, we're, we are a Bible-believing, discipleship kind of message church. You're going to come in here, and we want your walk with God to grow. And that only happens when we begin to understand our position in Christ. Closing verse, and then we'll pray. Psalm 65. How many of you guys enjoy reading the Psalms? Yeah, we can identify a lot with the Psalms. We're crying with David. We're punching people with David. <laughs> Praising the Lord with David. Psalm 65, verses 4 through the first part of 5. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. What does it mean to be a saint? But we dwell in the court of God. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds and righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation. You know, I, when I read this verse, I was thinking, this is what it means to be a saint. This is what it means to be a saint. I am dwelling in the house of God. I am being satisfied by God's refrigerator. <laughs> I, am, I am seeing God do amazing, awesome, righteous deeds. At the end, it says, O oh God of my salvation. That's what it means to be a saint.
And today I want you to provoke you in this idea and begin to understand that Paul calls us a saint. God is calling us saints. We're not all acting like it. I understand that. I'm not sitting here saying you're all angels. <laughs> I am saying you're a saint, though. I don't know. It's, this is the Bible. There's all kinds of weird contradictions here like that. But this is the, he says that you are a saint. And when you begin to realize who you are in Christ, when you begin to be satisfied by the provisions of God, and God is the God of your salvation, you begin to experience your sainthood, not only you know, hear about it. Amen? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the book of Colossians. And we pray that you'll uh, just guide us through it as we open it and we study and we get these little golden nuggets out of there. And I just pray that you will help and you will stretch our capacities. You know, we look at this little board in the back of the room and there's missions and there's Bible school. And our capacity isn't there. But Lord, it could be. It could be. There are people that maybe aren't in church today because their capacity isn't there, but they could be. They could be. Lord, and we just we love you. We praise you for your grace and your mercy and what you call us without us even, you know, being enough. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.